Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What's up, everybody, and what the heck is going on with our New York Jets? What a crazy 48 hours it's been. I mean, two days ago, the New York Jets lose to the Jaguars 15-29, to and all anybody can talk about is how the offensive line can't protect, how we can't stop anybody on third down, we can't pick up our own third downs, the offensive game plan is weak at best, Sam Darnold's still seeing ghosts and having trouble throwing the ball, turning the ball over too much. And then, out of nowhere, the New York Jets become sellers, and pretty heavily. I mean, we knew that they were obviously not destined for a great season. The mono and everything that we had with injuries and stuff at the beginning of this year kind of derailed that early on. We knew that the season was going downhill, but we didn't know just how bad it was until Joe Douglas tips his hand and says, every single player on this team is on the trade block except for Sam Darnold and Quinn Williams. I mean, that's what happened earlier today, just a few hours ago. You know, we trade Leonard Williams to the New York Giants, which is crazy in itself because it's the first time we've ever traded with them and we didn't think we'd find a trade partner for Leonard Williams. We actually get pretty good compensation. I'm going to get into that later. And then we start saying we're shopping Jamal Adams, Le'Veon Bell, Robbie Anderson. And really, take your pick. Anybody you want, because at this point, we have no need for anybody on our roster. And of course, being New York Jets fans, a fan base full of pessimistic, sad, self-hating people, finding out the news that your best players, your team captains, your leaders, and the players, that the few that you enjoy watching, are actually in jeopardy of going onto opponents' teams in the effort to, once again, rebuild, take the thing down from scratch, and, and start over. I mean, nobody wanted to hear that, and it was absolute chaos. My head was spinning. It's been a crazy day. I got a ton to get to on this one. Um, it was going to be centered around the Jacksonville Jaguars game, because that's a game that we should have won, that we should have made more adjustments with, um, that we should have seen a much bigger improvement from Adam Gase, specifically, and the offensive line. I think for a lot of people, it was a real reality check that, you know, we aren't a good football team. We aren't there right now. I mean, you can blame it on whatever you want. You can say that we have too many injuries. You can say that we haven't found a rhythm, that the teams are playing are hard, what have you. But through seven games, whether Sam Darnold's on the field or off the field, we've really only looked competitive for about a game and a half. And that's alarming. And sure, we play some really bad teams coming up. I mean, way worse than any of the teams that we've played so far. We've got about six of them. But at this point, the season's basically already lost. And I was ready to come out here and talk about all that. But then you get all the trade deadline news. So today, we're going to do it a little bit differently. I'm going to start with the trade deadline and everything that just went on. You know, the players that we traded, what we got for them. The players that we didn't trade, but looked at. What we could have gotten for them. And the direction that this message is really sending to the entire fan base. And what we're kind of seeing out of Joe Douglas, because we haven't seen much from him yet. He came into a team that was already established. He was able to make a few moves with like Demarius Thomas, Ryan Khalil, a couple trades for Alex Lewis, Nate Hairston. But at the end of the day, he hasn't put his real fingerprint on it yet. And I think we're seeing a little bit more of it today. We're getting a feel for exactly what he thinks about this roster. So I definitely want to dive into that. A much-needed What's on Tap is coming. I mean, I got something special for today. I'll tell you right now, I was not waiting around when I got home from work. From there, we're going to do a little bit of a, a Jags recap. going to try to do that briefly, talk team stats, player performances. want to do a father time. And then talk about the Dolphins game, because we do still have a winnable game coming up next week. Say what you want. Maybe you want the Jets to lose. Maybe you want to go for a draft pick. You don't want to win another game all year. Too bad. We're playing some bad teams, and we are going to win a few of them. I don't know just how many, but we're not picking first overall. That's just not happening with this team. We're ugly. We're bad. But we have talented players. 
We've got guys that want to find a way to win, and we are not fully in tank mode. We could have been had we traded away the players that were mentioned before, but we didn't. So, we got another game to look at, and hopefully some good football coming up, I'll tell you, because this fan base needs it right now, and even more, our locker room needs it. After all the news that went around today, I'm sure a lot of players have a bit of a pit in their stomach and maybe aren't aren't feeling so great about the franchise overall. So we're going to get to all that, but first I want to remind you all to follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. If you're looking for more news throughout the week, I was very active today, sending stuff, you know, every 15 minutes. Couldn't really focus on work, which was a bit of an issue, but, you know, obviously these things are more pressing, more important, and when you have terrible beat writers making horrible rumors about things that probably will never happen, you got to get it on the fray. So follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan for more midweek opinions, reactions, interact with me however you want. We can talk about football, talk about the New York Jets. Positivity is preferred, but uh, obviously it's a little bit hard to come by these days. Also, feel free to rate, subscribe, review these podcasts wherever you listen to them. I know it's available on a ton of platforms, but you can also find them on gangrenenation.com, part of the SB Nation platform, and it's just a great site for the New York Jets fan base. There's a bunch of people that put in good articles, a lot of good work, so check out gangrenenation.com. It is greatly appreciated. All right, so I want to start this episode and get into the trade deadline, everything that's just happened for the past few hours, because that is what's on my mind right now, and that's kind of bigger than everything else. We lost to the Jaguars. Our season's basically over. At this point, we're talking about, are we going to end up winning six or seven games, or are we going to be drafting in the top five? And a lot of people are rooting for the top five draft pick. A lot of people also enjoy watching the New York Jets win, and regardless of where the season's at, still want to see good football being played to carry into next year. We're in that situation right now. Not looking at the playoff run, but the team's making goals. And I think Joe Douglas made it pretty clear today and yesterday that he's looking to acquire picks and make cap space. Why is he doing that? I think it's pretty clear that he's not perfectly in love with this roster right now. He wants to get better. He wants to build it a different way than Max Vision. And the best way to do that is money and draft picks. So we'll start with Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams was an upcoming free agent that Joe Douglas didn't appear to want to give a big contract to. The franchise tag for him is $15.2 million if he's tagged as a defensive tackle. If somehow he can manage to be a defensive end, it's $17.1 million. Too much for Leonard Williams. Too much for his productivity this year. But he was a sixth overall pick in 2015. I mean, he's one of the few players drafted by the New York Jets that's still on the freaking roster. If you go back like 10 years, very few of them. So he's one of those guys, but if we're not looking to pay him that kind of contract, an extension for him, you're thinking maybe $11 million or so, We have a pretty deep team there on the defensive line right now. We have a Steve McClendon, Quinnen Williams, and Foley Fadakasi in the dead center anchoring that thing down, and that's a pretty strong unit. Henry Anderson's getting a decent contract of $7 million a year. Then you got Kyle Phillips, the undrafted guy who's playing well on the other side. So at this point, you've got five quality defensive linemen, at least, that you're thinking, all right, we can definitely work with these guys. Now, you can't spend $11 million on every single player. You can't do it. There's not enough cap space in the league to do that. That'd be like a $580 million roster that you'd have. So you have to cut some corners. You have to have some bargain players. Kyle Phillips is playing well enough that you think to yourself, we could probably lose Leonard Williams, save the $11 million that he would be earned, and be in a better place. We'd rather spend that money elsewhere, maybe on an offensive line, maybe on a wide receiver, cornerback, what have you. So now it's about trying to find a suitor to take him. We didn't have a ton, to be honest. And I'm surprised the New York Giants came in and gave us as good a deal as they did. Because if you're not trading... Leonard Williams, you're not getting anything for him. He's probably going to walk next year unless you play him a ton of money, which it appears it wasn't going to happen. The Giants gave us a third round pick in 2020, which 
could potentially be a top 70 pick. I mean, the Giants are one of the worst teams in the league. They have a rookie quarterback that could easily lose a bunch of games coming up. And if they do, I mean, you're talking about an early draft pick in the third round. Could potentially get that. They also get a fifth round pick in 2021. Now that fifth round pick becomes a fourth round pick if Leonard Williams resigns with the New York Giants. I think it'd be a shocker if Leonard Williams didn't resign with the New York Giants. I mean, why would they trade him? They're not in a win-now mode. They're not about to make a big run for the playoffs. They got two wins at this point in the season. So adding Leonard Williams doesn't really push you to the limit at the end of this year. It doesn't make you elite. But they take the contract that we had. So he walks at the end of this year. They get nothing for it. They just lost a third-round pick and fifth-round pick. David Gettleman's a bad GM, but he can't possibly be that bad. He must be planning on either franchise tagging him for $15 million or $17 million or signing him to extension for longer than that. Now, Leonard Williams is from, well, he's not from New York, but he lives in New York now. He's got a family here. He doesn't have to move. He's still playing in the same stadium and everything. So it probably makes sense for Leonard Williams to re-sign with the Giants. And when that happens, we get a fourth-round pick for it in 2021. So we get two decent picks, two mid-round picks. That third is really nice for this year because when you're talking about a third-round pick, that's a place where you can definitely attack interior offensive line, which we know we need. Good guards and centers available in the early third round. This is a really deep wide receiver class coming out. We might be able to use one of them. Could potentially attack that in the third round. And then, you know, cornerbacks. There are some other players that you could get there as well. And I'm going to be honest. I say these things every year, these positions that we can go after. But time and time again, McKagan goes the other way. He drafted Trevon Wesco, a backup tight end. He drafted guys that we didn't think we'd ever need on this roster out of nowhere. Nathan Shepard, a D3 defensive lineman. Really another one? I mean, it was kind of ridiculous, the picks that he was making. He never went after need. He went after these diamond-in-the-rough players that never panned out to be anything, and injured players, and just whatever, horrible players along the way. I think things are going to be different with Joe Douglas. I think given what he's done with the Eagles and the way that they built their team with an offensive line, I think he's going to go after those team needs. So that that third-round pick is actually a really big deal. And when you're talking about it right now, our defensive line does not get that much worse today. The letter Williams has been a good jet. I love the guy. I think he's a great person. I think he's a great teammate. I do think that he's been over uh, overlooked for a long time. People don't really like him. They haven't seen enough from him. I'm kind of in, in both camps. I think that he definitely should be better than he is, but he's not bad. I mean, the Giants are trading for him for a reason. They're willing to give him a long contract for a reason. He has value. We can't act like Leonard Williams is an absolute bust and he's a terrible player, and that's not really a good draft class from 2015. So in the end, Leonard Williams is a serviceable player, He's played 71 games for the New York Jets. That's every single game since we drafted him, right? Over those years, he had 17 sacks. He had 90 quarterback hits, 32 tackles for a loss. One of the big issues with him, though, between that sixth pick overall, we were hoping he was going to be, and he was getting compared to players like Reggie White coming out of college, who was supposed to be an elite, elite talent. I mean, in those years, he only had two forced fumbles. He only had four pass deflections. I mean, those are some of the numbers that are like, he's just not impacting the game at a high enough level. You know, two forced fumbles in all of those years. He's only gotten his hands up at the, on the defensive line four times since 2015. And this year, I mean, those are decent numbers for his career. Nothing to write home about, but solid. You know, a serviceable good player for the New York Jets. He made a Pro Bowl, mind you. But this year, he's got zero sacks, five quarterback hits. He's played seven games, and this is the worst season of his career. He's also getting phased out of the defense a little bit as you bring in guys like Willis playing a little bit more, Fadakasi playing more, Quinn and Williams is there now. You've got Kyle Phillips demanding a little bit of time because he's playing so well. 
and Kyle Phillips actually has better stats this year. So you're not taking a huge drop-off on your team, skill and talent-wise, but not signing him, you're probably adding $10 million in spendable money in free agency next year, and you're getting that draft pick this year, and then you're going to have another draft pick in 2021 that at that point will all forget it's even there and be like, oh yeah, we have another fourth-round pick, how awesome is that? And those things can be very valuable. So I think that this was a win for the New York Jets. I know it's a bummer giving up a guy like Leonard Williams that was homegrown and drafted by us. One of it was, you know, he was hopefully going to be one of the few success stories that the New York Jets actually have drafting over the past like 10 years. But that's not the case. I am happy that he went to the New York Giants. I can root for him over there, can watch him over there. We get to see him play against the Jets on November 10th. It's going to be exciting. But when it came down to it, Joe Douglas got more value out of Leonard Williams through the draft picks that we received and the money that we'll have freed up to spend than we would have got by bringing in another defensive lineman. And part of that's Mike McCagnin's fault. You know, why do we have so many defensive linemen? Why do we have Quinn and Williams, Henry Anderson, Leonard Williams, Kyle, you know, all these guys, Steve McClendon, Foley Fadikasi, we just drafted them over and over and over again. And it gets to the point where it's like, okay, that's an expendable player. So I don't blame Joe Douglas at all. I think he made the right call in here. I'm glad that Leo's going over there. I wish him the best. I will continue to follow him and, uh, you know, good things to say about him. He just wasn't the right guy for us right now. Then Joe Douglas looks to move some other players. And one of the names that's coming up the most is Robbie Anderson because he has an expiring contract and he's one of those guys that you can just pop onto a team like the Eagles who are struggling for receiver help and are trying to make the playoffs or the Texans or something, a team that just would really like another weapon on their offense. Robbie Anderson could be a perfect fit. And we know he doesn't have the most diverse route tree, but you know what? That means he can pop into any team and do the same 15 routes he does for the Jets basically right away. Hey, just start running straight. See if you can burn a guy. Make a cornerback run with you all game long, and he would be worth it to some teams. The New York Jets are looking for compensation for him. Unfortunately, the word on the street is the highest they were offered for Robbie Anderson is a fourth-round pick. Now, I'm with Joe Douglas. Like, I would trade Robbie Anderson for a first-round pick, of course. Somebody offered a second-round pick. I think I would take that as well. You start getting to, like, a third-round pick. You start wondering, all right, how high of a third-round pick is this going to be? I'm not sure if it's worth it. Fourth-round pick? I'd rather just re-sign Robbie Anderson because the difference, like, when you get rid of Leonard Williams, you're not creating a hole in the New York Jets, right? We still have a defensive line that's intact. If you trade Robbie Anderson away, you do now have a hole. You now have a fourth-round pick for him, but now you also need to add a wide receiver. So what, are you going to add it with that fourth-round pick? You're probably not going to find a player of his level with that. So you're going to have to go out, spend your money in free agency. There's everything you save from Leonard Williams or, or save from getting rid of Robbie Anderson, and you basically just break out even there. So I think it makes sense to keep him. The big move now is that he's on the roster and we're not going to get anything for him if he walks is trying to sign him to an extension. You know, we we don't want to get nothing for him. And we do need a wide receiver, especially if he leaves. Even with him here, we probably need to bring in some more talent. I don't know if Quincy Nuno will ever be healthy again. And Sam Darnold having trouble. You know, we have Demarius Thomas playing significant minutes at wide receiver right now who is barely playable in the NFL on every other team. And he's one of our better receivers right now. I mean, we got we to gotta get some players in there. Depth. Depth is important. So Robbie Anderson stays. And I'm okay with it because the compensation wasn't there. And I'm also okay with Joe Douglas shopping him to see if it was. Perfectly fine. He is in a contract year. It makes sense. Robbie Anderson stays. Compensation is not good enough. Moving on. Le'Veon Bell's name. He comes up next earlier today. All right. Le'Veon Bell is now apparently a guy that teams are looking at and a guy the Jets are willing to trade. You're wondering, all right, who the heck is coming after Le'Veon Bell? The Kansas City Chiefs name comes up. 
I think it was the Houston Texans name comes up for Le'Veon Bell, and it's like, this is one of the few guys that's busting his ass every single game, every single play. One of the few guys that has a perfect press conference every time, always says the right thing, puts the team first. We just signed him. Like, I get it. It's not Joe Douglas's guy. Mike McCagnan signed him, and Adam Gase and Joe Douglas probably wouldn't sign off on it. But come on. Like, he's one of the few bright spots that we have. You better get something freaking good for him. And as the day goes on, we don't get that that huge value pick for him. And it's fine. So you want to shop your players, right? You want to, if somebody's willing to offer you three first-round picks for Le'Veon Bell, you have to take it. If somebody's willing to offer you four first-round picks for Jamal Adams, you can't say no. You absolutely have to take it. And there are crazy deals that go down in this NFL where teams crazy overpay because they really want to make a run right now, you know? They really want to make a big difference. And the only way you're going to find those is by asking, by reaching out to teams, seeing what they want. The problem is the fallout from this whole thing is what are you thinking now if you're Le'Veon Bell? I mean, Le'Veon Bell's name is being shopped around, and he's done everything for this team. And now they're talking about, like, yeah, maybe uh, it's just not the right fit. And he's like, what? What else do I have to do to be the right fit? So now you worry about, you know, the team chemistry and the players that are with him that see him bust his ass every single day and say the right things and be a team-first guy all the time, a guy that they enjoy playing with. You know, he's a, he's a prankster, a funny guy in the locker room. The guys love him. And you're talking about trading him. Now that boosts or lowers team morale. Now, ultimately, he doesn't get traded. The compensation, again, isn't there. Joe Douglas holds on. It shows that he values him because he's not just looking to trade guys like Le'Veon Bell for whatever. He's not trying to get him out of the house just for the sake of doing it because he's not my guy. I don't want him here. He understands he's got value, and he's like, all right, you can have him, but for a price. Le'Veon Bell stays. That was a bit of a whirlwind. But then, as that's going on, it's like, oh, the New York Jets are now shopping Jamal Adams. Wow, Jamal Adams, the guy that still has two years left, is barely being paid anything, is an all-pro level player, probably one of the top two players on our entire team, getting paid no money, and one of the emotional leaders, the the fire-up, inspirational, team-first guys, a guy that's constantly trying to recruit players to the Jets and do things like that. Now, he has had some issues with his Instagram taking down the team. Words are that maybe he's wanting to play for the Dallas Cowboys. It's all possible. It's all rumors right now. I don't want to read too much into that stuff. Um, I will say this. If Jamal Adams doesn't want to be here with the New York Jets, then I don't want him here. If he wants to be here, then I'd love to have him. He's one of those players that I could root for for 10 years. Love to have him be my guy. But I don't want a player that doesn't want to play for the New York Jets because he's played for two seasons and doesn't win. All right, football is a privilege. Winning is earned and not just given. You can't just say, well, I played for two years and I didn't win enough, so I want to go to another team where I can just win right away. You want to go to a good team that's already good without you, you haven't earned that. They're already good. You know, if you want to be an impactful player, bring a team from the bottom up. Bring them up with you. Make them better. Teach the players on your team. That's how you create a legacy. I'm not looking for guys that just want an easy win, because you know what? You're not going to get it here. I'm tired of distractions with this New York Jets team. Tired of the circus. The Rex Ryan thing was enough. We're getting another one right now. It's constantly a circus, half created by the media, half created by the team's ineptitude. But I'm just tired of that stuff. So if you want to be a New York Jet, be here. I'm not going to have any issues with Sam Darnold. I wear a Sam Darnold jersey every single game that he plays. I bought a CJ Mosley jersey because I think he's a team first guy. I'm not wearing a Jamal Adams jersey because you know what? When he got drafted, I didn't trust him. And I've said it. A year ago, I've said it on this podcast a bunch of times, I wouldn't be surprised if when his contract is up, he plays for a team like the Cowboys. I don't want him requesting a trade like that. If he gets there, he's a free agent, it's his choice, do whatever he wants. Sorry we weren't good enough, but you're under contract, so do your contract. That being said, 
the rumors are coming out now that Jamal Adams did not want to be traded. He just tweets, actually probably like 25 minutes ago, he tweets, at the end of the week last week, I sat down with the general manager, Joe Douglas, and Coach Gase and told them I want to be here in New York. I was told yesterday by my agent that the GM then went behind my back and shopped me around to teams, even after I asked him to keep me here. Crazy business. So essentially what Jamal Adams is saying here is that he told the general manager that he wanted to play there, and the general manager still tried to shop him around and didn't trade him, and he's a little bit pissed off about it. Now, I have reason to believe that Jamal Adams doesn't actually listen to this podcast, but if he is, I just want to tell him, you weren't traded. Coach Douglas shopped you around. There were teams that were interested in you. They were willing to offer first-round picks. What else? The Ravens, we know. The Cowboys were interested. Joe Douglas said, it's not enough value. We're keeping him. You can't blame a guy for asking. If he trades you, that's turning his back on you. But just asking a team, hey, what are you willing to give me for him? That's just doing due diligence. And if my coach isn't, or my general manager isn't doing that, then I'm wondering, well, what the heck are you doing? Get on the phone. Every single one of these players should be having conversations. Now, you shouldn't be actively shopping them saying, we want to get rid of Jamal Adams. What will somebody, you know, what will you take for him? We want to get rid of him. That's one of the situations where Antonio Brown gets traded for a third or, or Michael Bennett gets traded for a sixth or seventh round pick. It's like, all right, just get this guy out of here. But this Jamal Adams trade was not like that. We aren't just looking. We need to get rid of Jamal Adams. We're just looking for what we can get. So I'm sorry that your feelings are hurt, but you're still on the roster. We were just checking. And at the end of the day, we think that you're too valuable to take the deals that we were offered. And if you think that that's an insult, that's perfectly fine. But this is a business in the same way that you probably won't resign with the New York Jets. We're going to do our best to find out just what you're worth around the league. So as the trade deadline comes and goes and closes out at 4 p.m. today, we realize that Leonard Williams was traded early on. Good trade. But Robbie Anderson's here and needs a contract. Jamal Adams is still here and under contract for two more years. And Le'Veon Bell is still here and under contract for a few more years with guaranteed money. So those guys are all staying here. We did due diligence. It's great. But what's the fallout from this whole thing? Team morale is low. We can see... Jamal Adams ripping the team now. He's upset. Le'Veon Bell's probably not going to say anything bad because he's a smart guy, nice guy, and he appreciates the team and his opportunities, but he's probably not feeling great about it. Robbie Anderson, he's probably wondering, you know, why were they willing to trade me? Don't they want to sign me, get me an extension? And the players around the team are looking at this saying, you know, what the heck is going on? Were we all on the trading block? Guys like Marcus May, whose name was brought up, everybody else, hey, we're not worth anything to you guys. All the work that we do and put in, the fan base, they're pissed off wondering what the hell's going on. Why are we trying to sell the farm? These are my favorite players. You're trying to get rid of them. So now you got to do a little cleanup. Now, Joe Douglas has to do his best. I believe that he's working on doing a press conference today. Um, General manager Joe Douglas is obligated to contractually to do one, at least one press conference mid-year. And I believe that he's doing it today. If he already did it, I haven't heard it yet. I can't wait to hear it if it's coming later on. That's just what I heard. I wasn't exactly sure what time. Just that he was going to address the media. I can't wait to hear what he says. He's got to do damage control now. He has to prove to these players that he wasn't trying to trade them. He was just asking around to see what they're worth. Because, frankly, we can't have a team that's 1-6 start to implode on itself. And, honestly, one of the best scapegoats this whole thing, to get through this whole thing for next year, at least, because at this point, it appears that this season may be going down the drain pretty quickly. But damage control would potentially be firing Adam Gates at the end of the season. And I've not completely put the axe out on Gase yet because I don't think I've seen enough of him playing with a healthy roster to truly say he's definitely not the guy. I'm not a person in the camp of being like, we need to get a new coach every single year. I think that they deserve time. I think that we have to see them develop with their team, build something, 
and then, you know, improve and get better. How many guys are great right away? Bill Belichick was a horrible head coach at first for the Cleveland Browns. So you're telling me he was just bad? Get rid of him. You know, imagine if they kept him. Imagine if they let him grow and become a better coach. You can't just always put the axe out because you don't get instant gratification. That's how you become a bad team. So I'm not all in on firing Gase. But when I see this whole thing happen, it's like, all right, we're going to have to find a way to reel these guys back in and go into next year with some positivity because really the story of Adam Gase since he's been here is pretty damn negative. It's like he didn't want, when it was free agency, he came here and it was like he didn't want Le'Veon Bell or C.J. Mosley and he's having issues. Then he has like his eyes press conference where his, his eyes are bugging out, going crazy, he's doing smelling salts, seeming like a crazy person. He's making the wrong decisions with players and he's, you know, he's GM for a day and just starts trading people and, and cutting them. You know, Jordan Leggett and Darren Lee, which I loved, by the way, but, you know, he's doing that stuff taking the power to his head. Is it like, who's in control here? Is it the GM or is it Gase? He's going to get Mac fired. He's turning on him. This whole Gase thing has been really negative. And then the season starts and we lose. And some of it's because Sam Darnold's not there, but we lose the first game in pretty bad fashion. We have a bunch of penalties. We can't complete on compete on third down. Can't complete or compete on third downs offensively. Um, Sam Darnold's getting messier. His footwork is like going down the drain. Adam Gase won't put down the clipboard. Something my dad mentioned on Father Time last week. He stares at a clipboard all game. He's not making adjustments. He's not doing in-game coaching. There's just a ton of negativity around what he's doing right now. And I think that to reset this whole thing, you maybe don't want to just start it all over again next year. You maybe want to send a message to the team saying, all right, listen, guys, we kept you, Jamal Adams, Le'Veon Bell, potentially Robbie Anderson. And we want to make you better. We want to make this team better with you. So instead of getting rid of you, what we're doing is we're getting rid of the coach, a player that maybe didn't want you to begin with, a player that couldn't lead you to wins or victories, and we're trying to make this team better. And then hopefully finding the right guy from there, Joe Douglas's guy, a guy that he hires, that may honestly be the best move. And it's not necessarily because Adam Gase is incapable of being a head coach at the NFL. I think that it's because the way that this thing is going right now, it's going to be almost impossible for him to recover this group of players to become a competitive team that's fully bought in. I just think it's been way too sloppy and way too messy. And it's a shame because I was really looking forward to this year. You know, it's a freaking shame that we had a really hard beginning of the schedule and Sam Darnold had some freak injury thing and or sickness, illness. And we're one in six before we know it with all the easy games coming up. You know, imagine if those games were sprinkled in and somehow with Luke Falk, we were able to beat a terrible team like the Dolphins or the Bengals. And we're like three and four right now. Hard games coming up. We'd be thinking to ourselves, hey, we're right in the mix. But because we played the Patriots twice, absolute playoff team. The Dallas Cowboys, playoff team. Philadelphia Eagles, potentially a playoff team. Buffalo Bills, playoff team. And Jaguars fighting for a playoff spot. Because we played those six teams already, you know, we're one and six right now. And frankly, it looks like we don't really have a shot. So I'll circle back to it from the very beginning of this whole thing is it all comes down to the draft. The New York Jets get the right coach in place. They get this thing back under control, get the players back bought into the system, whether it's finding a new coach or maybe somehow Gase is able to do it with a hot streak at the end of this season against the weaker teams. You get the guys bought back in, invested in the team, ready to play hard for whatever coach is there next year, and you have a freaking killer draft with more draft picks than usual, and probably drafting in the first half of the draft. You start building it there. That's where it'll all happen. 
That's where the cheap talent comes in. That's where the new, you know, influx of just brand new talented players comes. Look how quick the Colts got good with one or two good drafts. Look how quickly the Saints went from like one of the worst defenses in the entire NFL to a pretty darn good defense through the draft. Let us join them in greatness and have a good freaking draft. Doesn't mean we have to pick high. Doesn't mean we have to pick in the top five to have a good draft. It means that we have to make the right selections and not waste picks and have another nine busts on the roster. We can't have Ja'Kai Polite off the freaking roster before the season starts. We can't have Nathan Shepard, a D3 project, unable to touch the field, not because he's suspended, because he stinks. We can't have Darian Lees drafted in the first round. Kyle Wilson, Steve Milliners, Quentin Copel, Vernon Golson go through the list. We got to do it right for the first time in way too long. The last time we drafted really well was like, you know, that span where we were getting Darrell Revis, David Harris, Nick Mangold, Debrickashaw Ferguson. Hey, shortly after that, we were a playoff team. AFC Championship, two years in a row. It's been a while since that happened. It's been a while since we drafted well. So it starts this year. Joe Douglas better get this thing in order and get us moving in the right direction. So that's what went on at the trade deadline. I want to move into a little bit of some other stuff, the Jaguars game and the Dolphins game. Uh, I'm running out of time here, trying to keep this thing like an hour or less. But uh, before we get to anything else, we got to take a pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. Because if you can't tell, I'm a little bit on edge about everything that happened at this trade deadline and my team being 1-6 after all the hype and excitement that I had going into this year. So, please forgive me if I do a What's on Tap, the segment where I talk about the beer that I'm currently drinking for this episode, and today it is not a beer. I've done this before, but today it's not a Faderade, it's not a seltzer, it's nothing like that. It's exactly what I needed after a trade deadline. It's a glass of Jim Beam. Neat Jim Beam Black. Now, I'm a big Jim Beam guy. Price point's right there for me, and frankly, I think it's good. I'm a big bourbon guy, like the caramelly flavor, and... uh Smooth enough for me, especially for the price point. So I usually have a big bottle of Jim Beamer on the on the bar cart. And this time, roommate Kyle decided to treat us really well with a Jim Beam Black, which is an extra-aged, little higher-quality Jim Beam that's a very similar flavor, that great Jim Beam flavor with that little extra smoothness to it, a little crispness as it's extra-aged. So usually the Jim Beam has a, a bit of a rattle, kind of like that, that ting in the back of your throat when you drink it. That's just like, Kah. part of the great part about bourbon. But this one's just a little bit smoother. It's got that caramel finish. And it's a nice treat. The price point's still there because it's Jimmer. It's never going to be too expensive. And you come home from a, a long day of a freaking mess of a trade deadline. And you post up on a podcast with a nice glass of Jim Beam Black. Wee! Takes the edge off right away. This podcast helps venting. Venting and whiskey. That kind of is what gets me through the New York Jets season time and time again. I think one day... These are going to be like celebrations. Remember the Dallas Cowboys podcast where it was a celebration of, of greatness for one week? Uh, I think one day this podcast will be there. I think the Jets fan base, the team, the organization will be there. Celebration mode. But right now it's sorrow. It's depression. It's basically been 50 years of that since Super Bowl three, greatest Super Bowl of all time. It's been sadness. And with sadness comes whiskey. And with whiskey comes more sadness. Tough season to be a New York Jets fan. That is what's on tap. All right, we're going to move on to the Jaguars game. Talk briefly about how we got smoked 29-15 to to a not-that-good team and a backup quarterback that 
remember, we had backup quarterbacks playing, and they looked terrible. Definitely not Gardner Minshew level. But before I get to that, I do want to mention one thing. There was a trade that went down really quickly. The Rams traded Aqib Tlaib to the Dolphins with a fifth-round pick for a conditional late-round pick. Now, this is basically the Brock Osweiler trade, where you trade a player that you don't want under contract along with a pick. You're basically saying, here, take our fifth-round pick, but you also have to have Aqib Tlaib. Like, we don't want him that badly, and you don't want him that badly that we're also willing to give you a pick. The Rams did this to save $4 million. The first thing that comes to mind when I see this trade is like, we need to do this with Truman Johnson. He's going to screw up this cap for a very long time, and he clearly can't play any serviceable minutes on the field. Very, very poor, poor job. Can't keep up with anybody in man. Constantly looks like he's never played cornerback before, and he gets injured and doesn't have much heart and is kind of just really annoying to watch on the field. So we need to get rid of him, right? He's just going to be standing there. They're going to show him on the camera over and over again as he's standing there without his helmet on the sideline for the next three years waiting for his contract to expire so he can go into retirement and be forgotten by the NFL. In the meantime, it's like, why don't we trade this guy with a pick to get rid of him? Now, when you look at this, you're like, all right, Aqib Tlaib is better than Trumaine Johnson right now because Trumaine Johnson is unplayable. Tlaib is probably getting close to that this age, this age in his career, but it's only a fifth-round pick, and it only saved $4 million. I mean, what would you have to give up when you think about it to get rid of Trumaine Johnson. If that took a fifth-round pick to take to keep to Lieb and save $4 million, what does it take to get rid of the rest of the $37 million on Trumaine Johnson's contract? I mean, that's going to take, like, two first-round picks. It, it just, it's more reason for me to believe that we are absolutely screwed, stuck with this guy, unless there can be some sort of injury settlement, or maybe, maybe he gets tired of cashing in on a huge paycheck without playing. Maybe he just retires because he's bored. And he's like, you know what? I want to start working for my money again. It's too easy just standing here collecting a paycheck. There's a certain pride level in that, perhaps, that he'll find. Um, if that's not the case, it appears as though the trade price may be too high to get a team to bite on that horrible, horrible contract. So let's get back to our 1-6 team that just lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that had a losing record and looked like a team that potentially we could beat. A win is something that we needed after that Patriots game where we got shut out, blown out, and dominated on Monday Night Football. Maybe we could recover a little bit, and the Jaguars were doing really stupid stuff before the game. They had Their mascot was in a, a ghost costume, you know, trying to poke fun at Sam Darnold for seeing ghosts. The players on record told reporters that they were going to say things like boo to Sam Darnold to maybe scare him and remind him of that Patriots game. I'm just thinking to myself, like, you're trying to scare him and remind him of the Patriots game by saying boo? Why don't you just play really good defense and rush the passer like the Patriots did? That's probably what's going to make him a little freaked out. Now, the Jaguars did. They got after Sam Darnold, and they got after him heavy. He was sacked eight times to lose 51 yards. I mean, he was getting absolutely annihilated again. And it didn't look that way against the Dallas Cowboys. You know, I thought right away, Luke Falk had been sacked nine times by the Eagles. David Fale sacked one, so 10 sacks for the Eagles. Then you go into the Cowboys game. Sam Darnold comes back for the first game. He hardly gets touched. And you're thinking to yourself, look, he makes a difference. He's the reason the offensive line looked so freaking bad. That's what I thought. You play the Patriots, they blitz up the middle over and over. And they have a free rusher time and time again as the offensive line can't make adjustments. And Sam Darnold's under pressure, forced to make bad throws all game long. The Jaguars see this, and they then put pressure on Sam Darnold. And they're able to get through with, like, four guys time and time again. They shouldn't have a free rusher. They're putting four or five guys there. And 
It's just over and over, Sam Darnold had no time. And again, just like the Patriots game, Sam Darnold didn't have a great game. Now, he was 21 for 30, which isn't terrible. It's actually a pretty good passing percentage, over 60%. He had 218 yards, which isn't great. Two touchdowns, loved it. Three interceptions. That's the issue right now, is a few times in this game, he made bad decisions. You know, one of the interceptions came early as he dodged a couple tacklers trying to sack him again, and he made it out, rolled out of the pocket, and instead of throwing the ball away and accepting that, hey, I didn't get sacked this play, we didn't lose seven yards, this is the win, throw it out of bounds, live to play another play, he tries to force it on the outside, it gets picked off. This guy Herndon has two picks, by the way, which is just super insulting because I've never heard the last name Herndon before until we draft Chris Herndon. And then I've been waiting for Chris Herndon to play all season long, and he's suspended for a DUI from like a year ago, and then he's got a hamstring issue right when he comes back, and all you want is to see Chris Herndon. And finally, Herndon's catching passes from Sam Darnold, but he's a freaking player for the Jacksonville Jaguars intercepting him. So that guy gets two picks, and it was frustrating. So that was the first play Sam Darnold made a bad decision. The next one, he'd been sacked all game, pressured all game long. It's late in the game. Finally on a play, he's got a little bit of time in the pocket. He's got a receiver actually running deep downfield, and he just wants to take a shot because he hasn't had a chance to do this all game long. He's got a receiver 30 yards downfield. Let's try to get it to him. Unfortunately, it's Vincent Smith covered by A.J. Bouye, their best cornerback on our worst wide receiver, and Sam Darnold way overthrows it. It's picked off by Bouye, and that was just a bad decision. But I think it was just like he sees a guy down there. He's like, you know what? I got to try to make something happen. And, you know, that's the risk that you take, especially with one of these young quarterbacks with a great arm, is they try to play hero ball a little too much. You've seen it from Baker Mayfield all year. You've seen it from Josh Allen for his whole career. And now you're seeing it from Sam Darnold. And at this stage in his career, as young as he is, he's not known for always making good decisions. You know, he is known for giving the ball away to the other team. But just seeing it last week, seeing it this week, some of the bad decisions, seeing his footwork just not being quite right, it's alarming. And we need to find a way to fix it, fix it quickly. And a lot of that comes on Adam Gase. It really does. He's got to put the clipboard down. He's got to start coaching this offensive line. He's got to get involved. He's a head coach. If he's not able to get involved on the offensive line scheme and making them better, then he probably shouldn't be a head coach. It's his job to work with his players and to work with his coaches to get the most out of his unit. And it's his responsibility to make adjustments. If something's broken, you have to try to fix it. Otherwise, you're not coaching. You're just standing there calling plays. And I can do that. I can stand there and call plays. I'll do terrible. We'll lose every game, but I can do it. I'd be great time manager, clock manager. I'd know when to call my timeouts, you know. I think I could do a press conference pretty well. But like, I can't, the thing that I can't do is coach. That's what guys like Adam Gaze are for. So he's got to coach these guys. He has to make them better. He has to get more out of them. We need to see it quick. I mean, we got some bad teams coming up, some really bad teams. And if he can't, honestly, if he can't beat those teams, some of the worst teams in the league, then he will be fired. That's all there is to it. The way that he saves his job is by crushing up on these bad teams, proving that he's better than them. Because our team is not that handicapped right now. We didn't trade our great players away. We lost Leonard Williams. Sam Darnold is here. He's healthy. We don't have CJ Mosley for a lot of the year. But one middle linebacker is not enough to say we should lose to the winless Dolphins or the winless Bengals. You know, these are games that we're going to have to win. So bummer for Sam Darnold. I'm not definitely not giving up on him. I think that he is absolutely the franchise quarterback. You are going to be having a tough time trying to convince me that he is not the answer for us. It just isn't going right right now. We have issues on the 
on the offensive line, coaching, the roster, everything else. It's not him. He does have to be coached properly, though. Rushing the ball, we had a really bad game. We rushed for 46 total yards on 3.1 yards per attempt, but 13 of those came on one Vincent Smith wide receiver end around. Second time we ran it this year. Again, successful, 13 yards. It was good. One of the few creative plays we saw some saw from Adam Gase in this game. But Le'Veon Bell, 9 carries, 23 yards, 2.6 yards per attempt. His longest carry in this game for 5 yards. I mean, it's not his fault. The O-line sucks, and there are no holes for him. I haven't seen one big gaping hole for Le'Veon Bell this entire season. I don't think I've seen one. Every yard that he gets, he's earned himself. Well, we need to have a better job from these guys. Bilal Powell, a guy that's proven to be a good running back in the NFL, four carries, 11 yards, 2.8 yards. You know, that's another example of it's not Bell's fault. Nobody's got a good average on this team. It's almost impossible to do it behind this line. Receiving, Ryan Griffin has the big game. The guy has four catches for 66 yards. He has two touchdowns and a two-point conversion. I mean, Ryan Griffin was the guy, the only thing moving on offense. He got us that first touchdown on the first drive, which broke the streak of Jets getting no touchdowns on first drives in like 30 games or something. And then late in the game when we really needed to score, he not only got the touchdown to get us to 13, but he got the two-point conversion to get us to 15 and put us within one score of the Jacksonville Jaguars in the fourth quarter. We had an opportunity to win this game. We did. We got the ball back at the end of the game a couple times, you know, to do a game-winning drive. But Sam Darnold, the New York Jets offense, we weren't able to get it done. And the Jaguars scored another time, 29 points. We couldn't match it. It was tough. Other than that, Demarius Thomas, he was silent in the beginning of this game. He came on late, got a couple nice catches on the drive that led to Ryan Griffin's second touchdown. Thomas ended with five catches for 63 yards, five targets, so 100%. Ryan Griffin also, four targets for four receptions, 100% there. Robbie Anderson, he had four catches for 43 yards, six targets. 66% there, not terrible. Jameson Crowder, a little bit worse. Three catches for 24 yards, five targets. 60% for Crowder, still an average, uh, you know, catch catch rate. Crowder was used a little bit less in this game. Early on, Sam's first two games playing with Crowder, he really used him a lot. This is the first game, other than the Patriots. Like, Patriots is like a weird game always. We got shut out. This is a game that the Jets had some offense going, but uh, Crowder just was not too involved in it. Le'Veon Bell, catching the ball minimally now. Three catches for 12 yards, and then Vincent Smith, he had two catches for 10. So we're not seeing Joshua Bellamy. We're not seeing Braxton Berrios. We've seen Vincent Smith basically jump them in the receiving game. Backup tight ends, useless. Trevon Wesco, can't be found. Rookie draft pick, can't even find his way into the stat sheet. Offensive line in this one, what do you want me to say? We got five guys that need to be replaced. Kelvin Beecham's not even playing. He needs to be replaced, too. I could see Chuma Adoga turning it around and becoming a good player. I could see him starting and being our worst offensive lineman or being a backup guy in that Brent Qualley, Ben Ijelana role where it's like, you know, he can play left or right tackle and maybe he's better than a guy like Brent Qualley. But when you're aside from that, it's like, Coletio Semele, not here anymore. I don't want to talk about any of that. That stuff has been overplayed and absolutely ridiculous. Ryan Khalil, he doesn't have a contract next year. He won't get another contract next year. Jonathan Harrison's the guy that we took Ryan Khalil and have hardly benched Ryan Khalil because Jonathan Harrison's probably incapable of doing a good job there. Everybody wanted Matt Paradis and Mitch Morse in the in the offseason. Had to get a center. It was super important when it came to the draft. Ah, we got to trade back, get a center. Didn't happen. That's what we have with Jonathan Harrison. Probably have to find one instantly. 
Brian Winters is like five years overdue. I think we've been pissed about his penalties and his play for like five, six years. He's always been like a C plus good where you're like, all right, we're not going to, we don't have a guy that's going to be better right now. He is better than our replacement options. And somehow he's held on to that starting role, playing at about a C plus level. It's time for that to be better. We can't have these guys on the line anymore. It's evident. Sam Darnold needs some time. He's got a, he's got a freaking really good arm, really good talent. The guy's going to be a star in this league if he gets an O-line. Brian Winters isn't the guy. He's just getting older. He's also one of the higher-paid play- players on the team. And then I could make a case for Shell that, like, Shell was all right last year. He's still not being paid too much. He's young. Maybe we can work him into something. But, again, like, he's a tackle. Chuma Adoga and him tackle is the most important position on the offensive line. And are Shell and Adoga really equipped to handle that? Like, maybe, but we really need a guy that's going to be awesome. We need, like, a stud tackle. I think that there's a very good chance that we draft a tackle with our first overall pick in this draft. I think it makes a lot of sense. If we don't, like, you know, it's going to be a very big need in free agency. Maybe we spend one of those ridiculous freaking tackle uh, price tags in free agency. Hopefully not. Um, It really would be best served through the draft, but we got to replace the entire offensive line. They suck. We can't get any ground holes we can't get in your running room and Sam Darnold has no time to think Luke Falk was getting sacked a ton I blamed it on him Sam Darnold's getting sacked a ton I blame it on the O-line it's just not good enough Sam Darnold is regressing because of it he will continue to get worse until that's fixed when it's fixed he will get better and look better than ever before the games like the Cowboys game where he's not getting pressured a ton that's where he looks awesome the games where he's getting pressured a ton like the Patriots and the Jaguars that's where he looks bad now there's one common theme there, the offensive line. And if you have a better one, you get more of the good games from Sam Darnold. If you have a bad one, you get more of the bad games. See where I'm going with this? It's obvious. Joe Douglas sees it. He's going to address this thing basically right away. But the O-line sucks, and we have to replace at least four of them. And we got to do it basically like in a year and a half. And they have to be good, good players. That is when the New York Jets will start getting better. There is an answer. There is it for the New York Jets. Joe Douglas knows it. That's why he's trying to trade these players for picks, I think. I really do. I really think that's why he's looking at trading guys like Jamal Adams and Le'Veon Bell, because we aren't going to be there until the O-line is better. And it's just a player like Le'Veon Bell does not make the offensive line good. He doesn't rush for 150 yards no matter what, regardless of the offensive line. That's not how it works. The O-line sets up Le'Veon Bell. The Steelers had a great offensive line. Le'Veon Bell flourished. Guys like the Cowboys, they have had a great offensive line. DeMarco Murray looks amazing. Zeke Elliott comes in, looks amazing. That's just how it works. Good offensive lines yield good running backs. Good running backs don't make offensive lines good. So I see what he was going with that. Um, it's going to be something that we're going to be addressing big time. We'll be talking about it more as this podcast goes on. Keep tabs on it. Maybe one of these players can convince us that they deserve to be on the roster next year. We'll see. Defensively, pretty slow game for everybody, honestly. We had a couple sacks in this one. We had one from Willis. It was a, a strip sack, kind of. Gardner Minshew dropped the ball. Blake Cashman picked it up for the only turnover of the game for the New York Jets. That was a good one. like to see that. Fallerons of Fadakasi had two tackles for a loss. was happy to see that on the defensive line. Quinn and Williams, he had a pretty quiet game, but he did have his first half sack of the season. He had that quarterback hit. Other than that, he was pretty quiet. Uh, one of the guys I really like, I think I've said this before earlier in the podcast, Kyle Phillips undrafted rookie free agent. He's come a really long way in the defensive line. He's a big reason that Leonard Williams isn't here anymore. Him and Foley Fadakasi are, you know, 
big kiss of death for Leonard. And uh, the way that he's played has just been really good. The guy's getting paid almost nothing, and he's an asset. So happy to have Kyle Phillips and his contributions. When it came to the linebacking core, we had to pick James Burgess back up off the practice squad. He's a guy that was pretty good in preseason, but uh, we had to pick him back up because Neville Hewitt's injured, Albert McClellan's injured, C.J. Mosley's injured. We don't have any middle linebackers. So that was a bit of a, a, bit of a bummer. Um, Jordan Jenkins, he didn't get much of a pass rush. Henry Anderson, he's not back yet, so we didn't get after Gardner Minshew very much. I mean, we had six quarterback hits in this one. Came from Marcus May, Steve McClendon, one from Harvey Lange, one from Quinnen Williams, and the one from, you know, half sack for Kyle Phillips and one for Jordan Willis, but it just it just wasn't uh, enough, and I think the big issue in this game was third downs. We would play pretty well first and second down, but then on third down, the Jets would send four, five, six guys, try to blitz, try to get after Gardner Minshew, and every single time, Everybody got stopped at the line. Gardner Minshew had an open lane to throw and had numbers in his receiving game and did well. He picked up third down conversions time and time again, and it killed us. Uh, the cornerback game, not super strong. I still like Brian Poole. He had some good defensive stops. He's pretty good at tackling, and he's definitely our best cornerback right now. But Truman Johnson absolutely sucked. Nate Hairston came back in, played a little bit better, but didn't have a great game. In reality, Gardner Minshew had too much time to throw, and he kind of tore us up. They ran for 111 yards on us, and, you know, the defense didn't look great. We gave up 29 points to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it was one of our worst defensive showings of the entire year. So I don't have much more to say on the defense right now. Kind of bummed about him. Sam Ficken, he kicked one extra point. It went in. That's good. No punt returns. Very minimal special teams contributions in this one, so we can gloss right over all that. And then when it came to, like, team stats, the New York Jets got, they just got kind of beat up across the board. Third down efficiency, big issue for me this year. Two for nine for the Jets. It's just not good enough. The Jaguars were eight for 17. They were almost 50%. We were two for nine. We were like 25%, a little worse than that. I mean, it's just, you have to be better on third down. Adam Gase needs to start dialing up some better plays, more creative stuff, because it isn't working. They're not always third and longs. There are a bunch because we're getting sacked a lot. But we have third and fives we're not converting. We have third and threes we're not converting. And we have to find a way to do that better. Totally yards to the New York Jets, 213 to 389. We were doing four yards per play to their 5.6. I mean, we ran for 46 yards in this game to their 111. That's something that, you know, we've been really good at stopping the run. I said that was going to be a big a big deal in this game. And Leonard Williams had, or Leonard Fournette had under 80 yards. And one of them was like a huge gain. For the most part, we kept their run game in check. But we had to get it going on our end. 46 yards is just... It's just dreadful. Penalties, we had 10 penalties, double digits here for 83 yards. We had third three turnovers in this game. Three interceptions thrown by Sam Darnold. He had a fumble that went out of bounds, luckily. I mean, it could have been even worse. And when it came down to it, 26 minutes on attack to 33 minutes on attack for the Jaguars. So, we got... We got shellacked a little bit by the Jaguars. I think the score was a little bit better. Ryan Griffin looked good. In reality, we had two good drives. Couldn't move the ball other than that. The Jaguars, they did pretty well all game. Defensively, they got after Sam Darnold. They forced turnovers. They completed on third downs. You know, they made all their field goals, had field goal tries and things. They scored. They got into the scoring position time and time and time again. Kept the Jets out of scoring position time and time again, aside from those two drives. So I don't think the Jaguars are a really bad team. I don't. I don't think it's like losing to the Dolphins. 
but they're not a great team. They're not a team that, like the Patriots, that should just be coming in here showing us up. And with Sam Darnold, you know, you think to yourself, well, with Sam Darnold, we could have beaten the Browns, we could have beaten the Eagles, maybe, but if we can't beat the Jaguars, those two teams aren't that far off from there. We have to find a way to be more consistent. We can't have that game against the Dallas Cowboys and then this game against the Jaguars. That's kind of like the story of the Jets, isn't it? Like, we get blown out in some games, absolutely killed, like the game against the Patriots. That always happens a couple times. Then we play a couple really good teams really well. Maybe we win one, maybe we just play them really well, like the Cowboys. It's like, wow, that was an impressive showing. And then we play a couple really bad teams just really poorly and lose a couple of those games. That's just the story of the New York Jets franchise for as, as long as I can remember. And that's something that we have to work on. Consistency. It's a must. It's a must for this team. And I'm looking forward to trying to get it back on track against the Dolphins. I'm not looking for the first overall pick. I'm not looking for the second overall pick. I'm looking for a nice deep draft class. Wherever we're drafting, we can make it work. But I'm looking for good football. I'm looking to see Sam Darnold look good again. I'm looking to go into next year saying, yeah, Sam Darnold is on fire. He had a hell of a last second half of the 2019 season. Le'Veon Bell's got it going. Guys are looking healthy. Chris Herndon's back. You know, I, I want to see that sort of a thing and carry that momentum forward and then add a good draft class on top of that. That's my recipe for success. And before talking about the Dolphins game, we got to do father time because father time is relevant to the Dolphins game this week. But first, got to take a quick break. Okay, so we're going to do a little father time. My father, Dave Burnham, sends me his weekly writing sample on the New York Jets. Whatever's going through his mind, something he's mad about, happy about, excited about, thinking about, whatever it is, he sends it to me. I read it to you guys, and then I kind of react to it. He's a great New York Jets fan. He knows a ton about the team, and we should be honored and privileged to have his writings. And one day, we will get him on here to do them live, but in the meantime, I will read them. And as I'm doing this, I just want to say, I just got a notification on my phone from Le'Veon Bell. He literally just said, quote, we're going to get the ship sailing in the right direction. I just need everybody to have some patience. Stick with us. I mean, another perfect thing said by Le'Veon Bell. Again, he's like, please, guys, just believe in us. It's like, I, I feel so bad for him. He's like, try, please find it in your hearts to love us. And still everyone's like, no, we hate you. You suck. The team is awful. You're getting traded. And he's just like, no, I'm going to keep working hard and find a way to make this work for you, I promise. And it's just uh, it's just kind of sad to see how, uh, <laughs> how awesome he is compared to everything else that we're dealing with. Anyways, back to Father Time. David Burnham's submission for this week comes in as follows. This is a test. The Jets are trying to make strides forward while the Dolphins are tanking. That said, I'm sorry to say that I believe the Jets will have a hard time beating these Dolphins arguably the worst team in the NFL. The Jets can absolutely lose this game, but they must win this one. I'm nervous. Is this the game where Sam gets rid of the ghosts and rebuilds his confidence? Moving in the pocket, rolling out, grabbing first downs with his feet, putting a defense on his heels? Is this the game that Adam Gase experiments with the offense to make a more dynamic, less predictable attack? Can the Jets start putting up a few wins in the weak part of the schedule? There's an opportunity there. This will be a telling game. Go Jets. End scene. Thank you, Dad Burnham. That was a nice submission, and I got a lot to react to there. He's right. This is a telling game because the, the Dolphins have clearly tried to tank. They've traded away Kenny Stills, Laramie Tunsil, 
They just traded Kenyon Drake. They traded away, or they got rid of Ryan Tannehill. They traded away Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, they've clearly tanked. They are acquiring draft picks. They will probably try to get a quarterback, and they are trying to, they're trying to rebuild entirely. Get rid of every piece they have and start this thing from scratch. The New York Jets are not doing that. I mean, it was close at the trade deadline here. We almost traded a bunch of guys away, but we haven't. And we aren't in a complete tank rebuild looking for a quarterback right now. We are looking to win. And they're bad. I mean, they're a bad team. They may have had a decent first half last night on Monday Night Football. But they're 32nd in points for offensively. And defensively, they're 32nd in points against. They're the worst team in the league scoring, the worst in defending. They have nine sacks total for their team. We get sacked nine times in one game. We've played seven of them. I mean, they don't have the pass rush. They don't have the players. They traded them all away. They're giving it up. The Jets aren't giving it up. Adam Gase is trying to save his job. These players are trying to win still. They are. We're trying to get ready for next year. We think that we're somewhat already there. That's why we have these contracts. Nacho Douglas is doing, but that's the hand he's dealt. We have the quarterback in Sam Darnold, as long as we can get it right. We have some holes, yes, but we're trying to take steps forward and be a better team than we were last year, and it is still possible. We can win six games this year. Absolutely we can. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if we did. But when you're playing, by far the worst team in the entire NFL that's already lost to the Redskins, and your team is trying to win, and you lose, that's a really bad look for Adam Gase, for the offense, for the defense, whatever it is. We need to figure out if we're that bad. Are we an absolute wreck? You know, the Jaguars are still an okay team. We still haven't played a terrible team except for the Browns, but they have so much talent that it's like, every come on, everybody thought that they were potentially a playoff team. I mean, we knew that they're the Browns and that they had a rookie head coach and it could all fall apart. But we didn't think that they would be awful. We were like, they have enough talent where they can beat teams, for sure. So they beat us. That was the worst team we've played. Other than that, they're all basically going for playoff spots. This is the first team that's actually, like, really freaking bad. And it's going to be very telling. And we need to win it. It sends an entirely wrong message to the team and to the fan base if you can't beat these Dolphins. They traded their players away. They're the worst in the league. This is Adam Gase's old team, a potential redemption game. I mean, he must want it more than ever. He knows most of the players that are on that team, or a bunch of them, the guys that are still there. I mean, he should have an attack to go after them. Now, Brian Flores, he's the coach of the Miami Dolphins. He was the ex-defensive coordinator for the New England Patriots for a short while after Matt Patricia. So he's familiar with the New York Jets as well, and a lot of the players that we have. But there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to go out there and beat this team, and and pretty soundly. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick, and we know he can turn on Fitzmagic. We know that out of nowhere he'll have one of those games. We were talking about it earlier when the New York Jets play like a, a really good game against a team that they probably shouldn't beat, and it's like, what? Fitzpatrick was, you know, busy doing that in his time with the New York Jets as well. So we got to watch out for the Fitzmagic to strike. But they don't have the running backs, they don't have the receivers. I mean, these are guys that even Trumaine Johnson should be able to keep up with. And after all the negativity in the news today about everybody being on the trade block and possibly getting rid of them all, I mean, winning cures a lot of wounds. And these guys are in a bad place right now, and Jamal Adams is in a bad place, and people are pissed off and like, what the heck is going on with this team? But I tell you, it's not going to fix everything, but you win, you play a good, fun game, 
this Sunday against the Dolphins feels like what the New York Jets are supposed to feel like, what you hoped they'd feel like, things are going to be a little bit better. It's going to start to move in that direction a little bit. Move the needle that little bit, right? Then you'll be two and six. And it's like, all right, so now, and you're going to have those people telling you, well, they should be going for draft picks. They should just give it up at this point. Listen, there are a lot of teams tanking right now. We've put too much money into this roster. We're not blowing the whole thing up. And we're playing the easy part of our schedule. We need to start to get some wins, some momentum that maybe it won't help this year, but it could help next year. These players can feel okay going, hey, we, we finished. You know, we won seven games at the end of last year. Get on a hot streak. We feel like going into this next year, we can't wait to get back at it because we've got it. The confidence is back. That's what we need. Not drafting six picks earlier. What has that ever done for us? We got us Vernon Golston, Quentin Copels, Leonard Williams. These guys aren't on the team. We have Jamal Adams, barely. We got Sam Darnold. We got to make it easier for him. It starts this week. It starts against the Dolphins. I appreciate the father time from my father. That's kind of my preview for them. Honestly, the Dolphins aren't even worth really previewing that much because they're not really even trying to win. Like Brian Flores, a head coach, you can't convince a player not to try. You can't convince a head coach you got to lose this game because nobody has a pass except somehow apparently David Fisdale for the Knicks last year. But everybody else in sports, you're trying to win to keep your job, to build your resume. So that if you do get fired, when you do get fired, you have a resume that says, well, I did win some games. I'm not completely useless. Now, the general manager may be trying to tank. That's easier. He can trade the players away. He's the guy in charge. He's the guy with the vision. But the coach has to win. The players, they're looking for contracts. They may be cut. They may not be on this team. They have to boost their stock. They're trying to make Pro Bowls. They're trying to get stats. They're trying to make memories, have good careers. They want to win the game, too. But the Dolphins are not as talented as the Jets. They just aren't. So it comes down to coaching. What's going to happen with this team? We're going to find out exactly where they are. I can't wait. I'm nervous as hell. Like my dad said, he wrote, I'm nervous in there. I am, too, because if you lose this game, it's going to be it's going to be a really bad place for this franchise and for this fan base and for everything that we do on this podcast and talk about. And if they win, it's going to be like, eh, it's like, it's like, high risk, low reward, because the win is going to be like, well, it's the Dolphins. They suck. We were supposed to win. What do you expect? But that's the better of the two. I would much rather have the small reward. And I tell you right now, I hope that Chris Herndon comes back, because I do feel like he is going to be a difference for Sam Darnold. It's not going to fix everything. It's not going to fix his footwork. It's not going to fix the offensive line. But I think that he's a weapon that we would really like to have. And Ryan Griffin, you know, power to him. He had a good week. He's actually played all right with Sam Darnold. But Chris Herndon is just a, a bigger weapon. And then you can put Ryan Griffin on the field as well. Dual tight end. Do it up. Get Vincent Smith off the field. Right? That could be all right. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be a really weird week. There are a lot of motions with the New York Jets right now. A lot of uh, the players have them. The coaches have them. The general manager. The fans. It's just a little bit weird. Everything is kind of swirly right now. Very ambiguous day today, and now we're trying to get it all pieced back together, and it's going up against a division team that's terrible. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited to be here next week and talk about it. I think it's going to be a win. I'm predicting this game. Honestly, the Jets are a better team. Maybe I'm crazy, but I think 30-13. to 13. I said they were going to be the Jaguars. I was wrong. I thought we were going to be competitive with the Patriots but lose. I was wrong. We weren't competitive. We should beat this Dolphins team. Those teams are all looking for playoff spots. This offense team is not. 
30 to 13. New York Jets, Sam Darnold's comeback game, Le'Veon Bell's biggest rushing performance of the year. First 100-yard game rushing for Le'Veon Bell in this one. Robbie Anderson has a big game, proves a bunch of the doubters in the New York Jets wrong. And the offensive line appears to be successful in this game because they don't have pass rushers. So that's what I predict in this New York Jets game. Let's go Jets. I'll be here next week ready to talk about it. If you want to see more stuff throughout the week, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Appreciate you being here. Let's go Jets. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is the Jet Life. (laughs) 